Our text today is going to be John 8, verses 12 through 20. And this is the word of Almighty God. Again, Jesus spoke to them, saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. So the Pharisees said to him, you're bearing witness about yourself. Your testimony is not true. Jesus answered, even if I do bear witness about myself, my testimony is true. For I know where I came from and where I'm going, but you do not know where I come from or where I'm going. You judge according to the flesh. I judge no one. Yet even if I do judge, my judgment is true. For it is not I alone who judge, but I and the Father who sent me. In your law, it is said that the testimony of two people is true. I am the one who bears witness about myself, and the Father who sent me bears witness about me. They said to him, therefore, where is your father? Jesus answered, you know neither me nor my father. If you knew me, you would know my father also. These words he spoke in the treasury as he taught in the temple, but no one arrested him because his hour had not yet come. Pray with me, friends. Lord, we need you. We need you that our time in the word today would be of any value. We need you for wisdom. We need you for the presence of the spirit. We need you for, as the Puritans would say, unction. That you would indeed enliven the study of your word. May it be, God, to your glory. May our lives be changed forever for this day. We ask it in Christ's holy name. Amen. You can be seated. As you get settled, let's talk for a minute about social media. What are you guys, for it or against it? Yeah, I hear, I see how you are. Look, I'm not here to tell you whether social media is a great thing or it is the scourge of society. But what I do want to talk to you about is something that some of you who are social media folks know is a thing. How many of y'all have ever seen a post that says, tell me without telling me? Something. You guys seen the tell me without telling me stuff? So here's an example. Somebody will write on their Facebook or their Twitter or their who's he what's it that all poetry is nonsense and a waste of time. And somebody will share that post tagged with the line, tell me you don't understand poetry without telling me you don't understand poetry. Then there is a very sweet list of responses in the comment thread where others add to the discussion. Sometimes you see somebody use the line, tell me you don't know the Bible without telling me you don't know the Bible. People will tell them things like, the Bible tells us that we're never supposed to say that somebody's in sin. That is a declaration without using the words that somebody is unaware of the Bible's actual teaching. I heard a pastor one time say that the Bible is nearly silent about it, only whispers about sexuality and human sexual sin. That is somebody who is unintentionally declaring to us that he does not understand the Bible. And to be sure, if you hear somebody say that the Bible never actually declares that Jesus is God in the flesh, that is somebody telling you that they do not understand the Bible, even if they don't actually say the words, I don't understand the Bible. So as we get ready to pick up the words of Jesus spoken to the religious leadership and the crowds during the Feast of Tabernacles in John chapter 8, we will probably benefit from thinking of one of those tell me without telling me lines. 
You see, today, Jesus is going to tell you he's God. But he'll never use the words, I'm God. And if you'll work with me to see it, it'll help you to know Jesus better. And as you go through the passage, if you're a note taker, there will be three key points. But the first point might have five things to talk about or so. So just make, make enough room. Point number one. Follow Jesus, the light of the world. Follow Jesus, the light of the world. Look at verse 12. It says, again, Jesus spoke to them saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. The word again, opening this verse, tells us that we're picking up a conversation where it left off. The words of Jesus in 8.12 are picking up what Jesus said to the people earlier in chapter 7. And there we saw a few important things about Jesus, right? We saw his teaching, his identity, his mission. We watched the religious leaders plot to kill Jesus. We watched the crowds respond to Jesus in a variety of ways. Some almost believed, some did believe, some rejected him. But there's a really tight connection between 7.37 and 38. And 8.12. Look back at John 7.37 real quick, if you can. It says, On the last day of the feast, the great day, Jesus stood up and cried out, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, has, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Now, remember the backdrop of this scene. What we saw in John 7, what we heard here at the beginning of John 8, happened on the last day of the Jewish Feast of Tabernacles in the city of Jerusalem, about six months likely before Jesus went to the cross. During the day at the Feast of Tabernacles, the priests would go through an elaborate water ceremony that they could remind the people how God miraculously provided them water when they were wandering through the wilderness back during the Exodus. And it's probably during the water ceremony where we see God providing water, Jesus stands up and says, for all who thirst to come to him and drink. What you may not also know, though, is that during the evening at the Feast of Tabernacles, there was another kind of ceremony It was a light ceremony. If you remember, when the Hebrews went through the wilderness wanderings, God led the people through the desert via a cloud by day. And remember what he he showed them at nighttime? Pillar of fire in the sky. Well, since the Feast of Tabernacles is a feast that reminds the Jews of that time in their history, they made their own pillar of fire in the evenings, and they did it by lighting two enormous candelabras in the court of the temple. It's said that the, that the light from those big old torches blazing in the night was so bright that it lit up houses all over the city of Jerusalem. And y'all, that's a lot of fire. And, and when the fire was lit, The people, they would dance and they would sing and they would remember how God led them with his marvelous light. And as the people celebrated that God, God himself, led the Israelites through the desert by being their light, Jesus stands up and makes a huge claim. I am the light of the world. 
He's not telling them he will show them the light. He's not claiming to be a guide toward the light. Jesus says he personally is the light of the world. Now, if you've been following along in John, this is the second of Jesus's I am claims in the gospel according to John. Throughout the book, Jesus will tell us, I am the bread of life, chapter 6, the light of the world, chapter 8, the door and the good shepherd, chapter 10, I am the resurrection and the life, chapter 11, the way, the truth, and the life, chapter 14, and the true vine, chapter 15. Each of those seven things, they're, they're significant claims from the Lord. Each of them tells us a little bit about the Savior we love and worship. But let's ask this question. How significant is it that Jesus says he's the light of the world? What is Jesus claiming to be by saying he is the light of the world? And then what significance does light add to our understanding of Jesus? That's kind of what this point's going to uncover. So let's go to the extreme at the beginning. If you wanted to put one of those tell me without telling me tags on what Jesus just said, what would you say? You might write, tell me that you are God without telling me that you're God. Because by claiming to be the light of the world in that setting, in that context, Jesus is absolutely unquestionably claiming to be God. He's not claiming to be a little lower than God. He's not claiming to be sub-God, secondary God, God-ish. Jesus is claiming to be God. Again, the people all over Jerusalem all day have got the Exodus in mind. And when you think about the Exodus, you think about God lighting the way for his people. Exodus 13 verse 21 says, And the Lord went before them by day in a pillar of cloud to lead them along the way, and by night in a pillar of fire to give them light that they might travel by day and by night. In Exodus 14 24, when Pharaoh threatened them with the Egyptian army, and in the morning watched the Lord in the pillar of fire and of cloud looked down on the Egyptian forces and threw the Egyptian forces into a panic. Do you notice that in those verses, God is the light? It was God who led Israel as a pillar of fire. It was God who confused the Egyptians as the pillar of fiery cloud with the dramatic exodus imagery in the minds of everybody in Jerusalem. Jesus looks at the crowd and calls himself God. The Savior sees the people thinking of God as the one who is the light who preserved Israel. And Jesus says, I'm the light of the world. Other Old Testament references would give you some similar thoughts. Psalm 27.1 The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? Isaiah 60 verse 1. Arise, shine, for your light has come and the glory of the Lord has risen upon you. Isaiah 60 verse 19 says, The sun shall be no more your light by day, nor for brightness shall the moon give you light. But the Lord will be your everlasting light and your God will be your glory. It is God in the Old Testament who's called light and salvation in Psalm 27.1. In Isaiah, the person and the glory of God are represented by light. Jesus is claiming, dear friends, right there in Jerusalem to be Yahweh, the Lord, the one true living God. Now you tell me, 
Is it a significant thing, do you think, for a man to claim to be God? Yeah, we better take that seriously, right? So, as C.S. Lewis would have told us, you've got to do one of three things with what Jesus has said here when he says, I'm the light of the world. Is Jesus, one option, a liar, a villain? Is he totally deceiving us for evil purposes? No, we don't think that about Jesus. Is he a fool? Is he confused? Is he insane? Is he like a guy in a mental institution who claims to be the Pope or JFK or Taylor Swift? No. Nobody thinks that about Jesus. There's only one alternative left. Jesus really is God. He knows who he is. He's telling us. And if that's true, if Jesus really is God in the flesh, we have no alternative in our lives but to worship him, to honor him, to obey him. Now, real quick, don't let yourself be confused by the fact that in Matthew chapter 5, Jesus says to the church, you are the light of the world. He's not calling you and me God. You are not a God. You're not a Godling. You're not a Godlet. You're not a mini-God. You will not ever become a God. But in that context, in Matthew, Jesus says the church is a shining light that points people to God. But in John chapter 8... For Jesus to call himself in the, light, the light of the world in that context, in that setting, is him claiming personal deity. He claims to be the one called God, the Lord, Yahweh, in the Old Testament. Now, one more question that we'll find some points in here inside this point. Why light? What is it about light that makes light a thing that the Bible likes to use to talk about God? What is Jesus telling us about himself besides the fact that he's God? You know, if you read through the Bible, you'll see the biblical authors tie light to concepts like holiness, goodness, life, hope, joy, salvation, truth, knowledge, wisdom, well-being, justice, and yes, God. We could do a pretty big Bible study and just follow through the Bible every way that light is a metaphor for God himself. But if we did, we would never get out of here in time for lunch. So let me give you a few things we can see about light, which would tell you why Jesus might have liked using this image for himself. I'll give you five of them. That'll be more than enough. But first, we'll flip around the writings of John. Go back to the prologue of John, John chapter 1, and see some light imagery, because I want you to see how, how prominent this is. John chapter 1 is where you should be flipping right now. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. And it was life, and the life was the light of men. Do you see that there? The life the light of men. The light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. He was not the light but came to bear witness about the light. The true light which gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world and the world was made through him yet the world did not know him. He came to his own and his own people did not receive him yet but to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. 
who were born not of blood, nor the will of the flesh, nor the will of man, but of God. Light is an important theme in John's writings. Ask yourself, what does light do? Here, the first of five thoughts here, light brings life. In him was life, and the life was the light of men, verse 4. Now, is it common knowledge to you that light gives life? How many of you have plants? What do plants do without light? They die. Mom's plants die if they do have light. But that's a better joke when you're not here, by the way. So, In the wintertime, as sunlight grows scarcer in many cities, people tend toward depression, sorrow, gloom. They've even named it in the psychology dictionaries. They call it seasonal affective disorder. Sad. That's what they call it. I, can't, I didn't do it. But why? The lack of light actually just takes, puts a weight on our souls. But in John 1, the light of Jesus gives life to everyone who believes. Verse 13. That is glorious, folks. Jesus is the light who gives life. Now again, don't think, don't get confused here. I'm not saying that Jesus is ethereal. I'm just telling you, it's a metaphor. Light gives life. Jesus gives life. Jesus is the light. With me? You want to have life? You want real spiritual life? What do you need then? You need the light. Who's the light? You need Jesus. If you want life, you need Jesus. Go to John chapter 11, verses 9 and 10. Or you can just write it down, whatever floats your boat. John 11, verses 9 and 10. Another light picture. Jesus answered... Are there not 12 hours in the day? If anyone walks in the day, he does not stumble because he sees the light of this world. But if anyone walks in the night, he stumbles because the light is not in him. Light is often equated with safety. Think about it. If you've got two streets to choose to walk down here in Vegas at night, One is better lit, one is less lit. Which one do you tend to pick? We pick the one that's better lit. Why? Because when you walk in darkness, you are more apt to run into something, to fall into something, or to be attacked by someone. Jesus already told us in John 8, 12, those who come to him, the light, do not walk in darkness. Jesus grants us a spiritual safety with his light. We walk safely, not stumbling, as John tells us in 11, because we walk in the light of Christ. He's the light that brings us safety. John 3, sorry to jump around there, but I just put these in this order. John 3, 19 to 20. This is the judgment. The light has come into the world and people love the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light lest his work should be exposed. But whoever does what is true comes to the light so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. So another element of light in the Bible is the idea of truth. If you're doing something you want to hide, meaning you don't want other people to see what you're up to, you do it in darkness. 
John 3, 19 to 21, the light is something that evil people hate because they hate having their deeds exposed. The light of Jesus shines on the whole world. All of our deeds are exposed to God. We cannot hide, and he sees us just as we are in startling truth. Jesus is the truth. His truth reveals us as we are. So we've seen that light, light gives life, light gives safety, light shows the truth. A fourth one here, 1 John 1, 5. 1 John 1, 5. This is the message we've heard from him and proclaim to you, that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. So a fourth thing we see about light in the scriptures is it is connected to holiness. 1 John 1, 5 says God is light and has in himself no darkness at all. God is perfect. God is holy. In God there is no darkness. There is no tint of sin. There is no deception. There is no cruelty. There's no ugliness. God is perfect, brilliant, shining perfection. And Jesus is that very shimmering holy light. And the last one here, 1 John 2, verses 8 through 10, read, At the same time, it's a new commandment that I'm writing to you, which is true in him and in you, because the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. Whoever says he is in the light and hates his brother is still in darkness. Whoever loves his brother abides in the light and in him there there is no cause for stumbling. So the fifth thing we'll see about the light, why Jesus might use light to talk about himself, is that light is connected in Scripture with love. In 1 John 2, 8 to 10, the Bible is clear that walking in light leads to brotherly love. Light and love are hand in hand. And how thankful you should be that Jesus would call himself light and connect himself with that kind of image of love and grace. Now, let's tie those all together. Wouldn't that have made a nice sermon just doing those all five by themselves as a whole sermon? Yeah, we don't have time. Okay. Jesus is the light of the world. He's God. He is also our only source for true life. He is our protector and source of safety. He is the truth who sees us as we are. Jesus is holy, absolutely perfect, absolutely pure. And Jesus is the ultimate expression of love. These are good things about our Lord. These are things that ought to make you love Jesus more. So let me ask you this. Before we go on, take a second. Take note of those five things in your notes, those attributes of Jesus. Just pick one that you'll underline or circle and say, I really today want to give Jesus thanks because he gives life or because he brings safety or because he shows truth or because he is holy or because he's love. Pick one. And make it a goal of yours today to praise Jesus for it. But don't lose the Exodus imagery here just because I just did a light tangent. In Exodus, the light of God, the pillar of fire, did what? It led the Israelites out of Egypt toward the promised land. Do you want to be rescued from sin and led by God out of sin toward heaven? If so... You follow Jesus, the light of the world, because only Jesus can rescue you from death. Only Jesus can lead you out of sin into heaven. Believe in Jesus. Come to Jesus. 
follow Jesus, he's the light of the world. If you don't know about what that means, you don't understand that, I'd love to talk to you this week and help you understand better how to follow Jesus. Now, would it surprise you if I told you that not everybody who heard this stuff about Jesus was as excited about it as you might be today? Jesus claimed to be the light of the world, but the Jews around him, the, the Pharisees, did not like it one little bit. And as we've seen them do before, they try anything they can just to not believe Jesus. I'm not listening. This is as close as you'll ever get to seeing like a little kid doing that hands over the ears, la, 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 I can't hear you thing. Look at point number two for today. Believe in Jesus, semicolon, punctuating helps. Do not judge according to the flesh. Believe in Jesus. Do not judge according to the flesh. Look at 13 to 15. So the Pharisees said to him, You're bearing witness about yourself. Your testimony is not true. Jesus answered, Even if I do bear witness about myself, my testimony is true, for I know where I came from and where I'm going. But you don't know where I come from or where I'm going. You judge according to the flesh. I judge no one. The Pharisees heard Jesus claim to be the light of the world. And they just want to shake off the whole assertion by going rulesy on him. They cite an Old Testament law that demanded two or more witnesses to corroborate a testimony before a person could be found guilty of a crime. One such verse would be Deuteronomy 19.15. There's about three or four places you see this standard. Deuteronomy 19.15 says, A single witness shall not suffice against a person for any crime or for any wrong in connection with any offense he's committed. Only on the evidence of two witnesses or of three witnesses shall a charge be established. That's a nice quote of scripture for the Jews, right? Here's the problem. This standard should not in any way apply to the words of Jesus from verse 12. Yes, God did say in his law that we do not punish people for crimes if only one witness can be found. Why? The point of that law was always to establish a godly principle of justice in Israel and in those who follow the ways of God. Because it is far too easy for a single accuser to be mistaken about someone. It's far too easy for a malicious person to falsely accuse someone. So in God's economy of justice, and you do need to know this when you think about justice. In God's economy of justice, guilt had to be firmly established by multiple trustworthy witnesses. God knows people are apt to make mistakes. And if a mistake was going to be made in the issue of legality or justice, God always wanted to be sure that the people would err on the side of not punishing the potentially guilty instead of erring on the side of eagerly punishing the innocent. Does that make sense to you? God would rather a guilty person get away in this life than an innocent person be punished in this life. That is absolutely clear in the law of God. Now, God does not want you to let the guilty get away, but if you have to make a mistake, 
You need to make a mistake on the side of acquittal, not on the side of casting judgment. After all, God knows that God's going to do perfect justice in eternity and no human court ever can. So it is always better to have a higher standard of proof before someone is convicted. Make sense? No? Do I need to do more? (laughs) Okay. So the two witnesses standard here, the real meaning behind it, has nothing to do with Jesus telling the people around him who he is. Pharisees don't care. They just want to do anything they can do to find to discredit Jesus. Well, Jesus, in response to the Pharisees, points out he doesn't need another witness for his testimony to be true. He's not on trial. Jesus is not making an accusation against somebody saying that they committed a crime. The Pharisees are questioning the identity, the person of Jesus, but Jesus knows his identity. He knows his mission. He doesn't need anybody else to testify about him. Think this through. It may make sense. How many of you know what you ate for breakfast this morning? Okay, Kelly, what'd you eat for breakfast? I had a Nutri-Grain bar. She had a Nutri-Grain bar. All right. Ben? Not a banana. Not a banana or a peanut butter jelly sandwich. All right, what if I said, unless two people saw Kelly eat her Nutri-Grain bar, that her claim to eat breakfast is false? Would you guys believe that that should be established? Does that make any sense? If I told you, unless two people saw you eat your breakfast, you didn't eat it, would you agree with that? It's absurd, isn't it? Whether or not somebody saw you eat your breakfast has no bearing on the truthfulness of whether or not you ate breakfast. You know what you did. You know what you didn't do. And you don't need anybody to tell you. Jesus knows he came down from heaven and he knows he's returning to glory after his mission is completed and he knows who he is. He needs nobody's help. And that's what Jesus is saying to the Pharisees. Jesus tells his opponents, they're judging according to the flesh. In John, the word flesh is almost always associated with human weakness and sinfulness. These religious teachers are making decisions about Jesus based on their lack of wisdom, their lack of understanding, their lack of knowledge. And honestly, they're making decisions based on their sinful motivation. They don't want to believe Jesus. They don't like the idea that Jesus might be telling the truth. They don't want it to be true. And so they assume it's false and they look for every way to think it's false. Well, for his part, Jesus says, I'm not doing that to you. I'm not judging you like that. I'm not judging anybody. Not yet. Jesus came into this world to save it, not to condemn it. John 3, 17. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that in order that the world might be saved through him. Now, there will come a day when Jesus judges. He's not denying that in this statement. In fact, back in chapter 5, 22 to 24, Jesus said, For the Father judges no one, but has given all judgment to the Son, that all may honor the Son, just as they honor the Father. Whoever does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent him. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but has passed from death to life. 
For you and me, what's the call here? Believe in Jesus. Don't judge according to the flesh. When you evaluate the claim of Jesus, don't be foolish enough to, have, to, to limit yourself to your best guesses, to your best knowledge. You need to trust that Jesus knows who he is and that Jesus told us the truth because there's never been any reason to doubt Jesus. Certainly don't let your corrupt sinful flesh keep you from believing. Belief in Jesus Look, I know your flesh will rebel against believing in Jesus. You know why? Because believing in Jesus places requirements on your life. To believe in Jesus means you've got to repent of sin. You've got to yield authority over your life to the Lord. You've got to change forever if you believe in Jesus. And your flesh will fight against it. But listen to Jesus. Believe Do not judge according to the flesh. Third point, last point for this morning. Believe in Jesus to know God the Father. Believe in Jesus to know God the Father. I'm going to read 16 to 20 to you here. Yet even if I do judge, my judgment is true. For it is not I alone who judge, but I and the Father who sent me. In your law, it's written that the testimony of two people is true. I'm the one who bears witness about myself and the father who sent me bears witness about me. They said to him, therefore, where is your father? Jesus answered, you know neither me nor my father. If you knew me, you would know my father also. These words he spoke in the treasury as he taught in the temple, but no one arrested him because his hour had not yet come. So Jesus says... If he were to make a judgment about himself, his judgment would be true. Why? Because he and God the Father agree exactly as to who he is. You want two witnesses? You got them. God the Son, God the Father. That's pretty good, right? You might remember, Jesus already went through this with the Pharisees back in John 5, 31 to the end of the chapter. In that chapter, Jesus gave us several witnesses to his identity. In our sermons there, we saw that God the Father, John the Baptist, Moses, the Scriptures, and Jesus' miracles all point to the truth that Jesus is the Son of God. In that setting, the Jews were not at all willing to believe Jesus. And right here, Jesus knows they're going to judge him in a worldly way. They will not recognize his testimony and they will not hear the testimony of God the Father about his identity. So the Pharisees get nasty here. They demand to see Jesus' father. Why? It's possible that they're just being mean because they know Joseph, the man who raised Jesus, is dead. How nasty would that be, by the way? Where's your daddy? Oh yeah, he died. But it's more likely that they're trying to insinuate that Jesus was born because of immorality. Remember, Jesus was conceived by the Holy Spirit before Mary and Joseph were wed. The Pharisees don't know about the Holy Spirit's action here. They don't care about the Holy Spirit's action here. They're just trying to accuse him of being an illegitimate birth. It's ugly. Well, Jesus just responds to them by saying, that they don't know him or his father. That's a powerful statement. He is telling them that they don't know God. 
these men, these religious men, they're standing before the God who created them and they don't recognize him. Let me make it as plain as I can. If you don't know God, you have no hope of ever pleasing God. If you don't know God, you're destined to be judged by God for your sin. Jesus is telling these men that at this point in their lives, they're doomed. They fail to trust God. They fail to seek God's grace. They've missed the most central truth of all of life because they've missed who God is. As simply as I can, let me tell you, if you want to know God, you can only do it by knowing Jesus. Jesus is God the Son. Nobody will know God without coming through Jesus. This is not a call for you to participate in ceremonies. It's not a call for you to get involved in religious rituals. It's not a call for you to get somebody wearing a collar to bless you as if that's going to get you to heaven because it won't. It's a call that you would put your entire trust for your entire soul, for your entire eternity in Jesus and in Jesus' finished work alone. It's the life of Jesus, the death of Jesus, the resurrection of Jesus that can save your soul and nothing else. And so the call is that you would believe in Jesus and cry out to Jesus, Jesus, please save my soul. And as our glimpse of this conflict draws to a close, John tells us Jesus said these things in the temple treasury. It's where the offerings were collected. You guys remember in that passage in Matthew where Jesus says, don't sound a trumpet when you give your gifts? In the treasury at the temple was where 13 receptacles for offerings were out there. They all looked like little trumpets. And each one was marked for a different purpose for the offering, but Jesus is standing there in that spot in the temple. And the Jews wanted to kill Jesus. They, they couldn't, though. Why couldn't they kill him? There's a bunch of them. There's only one of Jesus. Why couldn't they kill him? Because God's sovereign. God's in charge. Do you guys know God never fails? Jesus had a very specific and particular moment in global history when it was a particular time when he would go and die for the sins of all he would save. And Jesus would not miss that moment by one second before or after. And that moment hadn't yet come, so ain't nobody able to kill Jesus. I had a whole sermon point ready about the sovereignty of Jesus, but we'll talk about that another day. What do we do? Well, what does John want you to do every time you read his gospel? What's the point that shows up over and over and over again? Believe in Jesus. Worship Jesus, folks. Jesus is God. He's the light of the world. He's your only way to know God. Believe and do not judge Jesus according to your sinful flesh. And when you believe, follow Jesus step by step, day by day. Just like the nation followed the pillar of fire in the sky to be led out of Egypt into the promised land. As a believer, reflect the light of the world as you point people to Jesus and to the perfections of our God. Let's pray together.
God, again, I say you are good and your steadfast love endures forever. And I thank you so, so very much for Jesus. Lord, my prayer is that those who have heard this message will believe in Jesus, the light of the world. I pray that we will be faithful. I pray that we will trust. I pray that souls will be saved. I pray that new and stronger commitments to you and your glory will be made because we've remembered who Jesus is. I pray for anyone struggling to judge Jesus by their own flesh, by their own mental capacity. They would let go and trust Jesus. I pray for anyone who's been deceived by false teaching that they will turn from that and trust Jesus. And I pray for all who trust Jesus that we would be faithful and we would testify with joy that our lives are found in Christ. Be glorified and do your will in your church. God, I pray in Christ's name. Amen.